This is Reclaiming Yourself, brought to you with PhytologyHub.com. How we overcome fears, find our inner strength, and trust ourselves. Now here's your host, Suzanne Keatley. Hi, and welcome to Reclaiming Yourself. Today I get to sit on a brown leather sofa and uh, chat with Midge Seymour Roots. Uh, Midge is 57. Um, Midge has been training uh, with us at Photology Hub for over well over a year and in fact has now officially totted up um, over 73 hours of strength training um, just in the past year and a couple of months. Um, so yes, here we are with Midge. Um, super excited to chat about Midge's journey prior to Photology Hub um, and also how Midge is coping with having a diagnosis for um, dyslexia and dyspraxia um, and what that means in life learning, both learning physical and learning through language and books and study and degrees and work and so on. So let's start with where you grew up. Well, I grew up in the middle of Ireland. I grew up on a farm in Tipperary. Oh, you're in Tipperary, yeah. yeah okay. In the Midlands. Very rural, very traditional, very Catholic. But I didn't know any different. And, you know, I, I would say it was a really lovely upbringing in a way. How many siblings did you have? Three siblings. Three siblings yeah. on a farm. What kind of a farm? It was primarily a sheep farm yeah. with some dry stock. My father is what you'd call a sheep dealer. Yeah. And we also had a shop. So we had one of those traditional oh. pubs and shops out the front. Amazing. So can we just explain what these pubs are like? Because they're absolutely brilliant. And there's some of them still around the country. Yeah. You'd have your lounge, which would be normally the bigger area at the back yeah. where people would sit and have their drinks. And then you'd have your bar, which yeah. is the kind of a lot of people would enter through the bar, yeah. which is a smaller bit where yeah. you get you can order your pints, mm. but also you can buy your bread and your milk and your mm. eggs and your mm. cheese. So basically at the front was the, the the part where you'd buy your milk and your eggs and the biscuits. Was an actual shop. It was an actual <laughs> okay. shop. And back in the day, it had everything you needed. So it, it would have flour um, and tea and, and they would have sold some farming implements as well. And then at the back, there was a very small pub. And prior to the up to about the 70s, there's what you call a snug, a very, very small yeah. room where the women would go in for their port. Mm. Um, I have memories growing up of having marts on the streets. This would happen in the summer. So there'd be they'd be selling um, stock, livestock outside, you know, sheep and cattle and all the rest of it. And like a festival for animals. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And, you know, they put up all the pens outside. Yeah. And I have a memory of us making sandwiches that we would just give to the men when they'd come in to have a pint or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be selling it to yeah, them, yeah, yeah. you know, and it was very, very busy. Well, that sounds like it's a town or a yeah, village. Was, yeah. it, was the shop and the farm separate? No, so the shop was on the main street and then the farm was behind that. Oh, okay. The story goes that my great-grandfather was in the States, came back and he bought the shop and, and then he bought the farm. Oh, wow, well. okay. And I think it was a way a lot of people were able to get land in those times. And as I said, my father wasn't really an intensive farmer. He primarily kept sheep. But my brother is an organic farmer. That particular farm still exists? Yeah, that still it's exists. With your brother? Yeah, with my brother. And, and he's organic. into biodiversity. Oh, fantastic. And all of that. And, and for many years, he, you know, sold meat and 
um, lamb at markets, but she doesn't do that anymore. What she does now is people can come and have sheep walks um, or people can buy direct from him. Well, has he been doing that for a long time? Oh, yeah, a very long time. I mean, as soon as he took over the farm, um, which he more or less did uh, as soon as he came out of school, Right. Um, he, he decided he wanted to go organic. I mean, the reality is the farm was organic anyway. It's because my dad never yep. intensively farmed. It feels very old and it feels very ancient. I mean, you could walk around in an hour yeah. and a half. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, you know, yeah. it's not very big, but it's very beautiful. Organic farming now is, is a big, big thing, isn't it? But it was more of a, a preserve what was already there. Yeah rather than bringing in chemicals yeah. amongst the rest. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But but my brother also, you know, wants to ensure that the livestock are treated well. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the meat that he's selling, you know, he knows where it comes from. It comes from a good place. Now, if any of my family or your family um, are listening from Ireland, mm-hmm. <laughs> where in Ireland, where in Tipperary? What's the name of the village? Well, it's a place called Boris O'Kane. Okay. Yeah, in North Tipperary. Oh, it's Tipperary. about eight okay. miles from Nina. <laughs> and it's on the I'm road. Definitely going to go there. I think it's on the road to Galway. Oh, brilliant. Okay. You know. What is the name of the farm? Or does your brother, is there a it's light? It's called Sheepwalk. It's Sheepwalk. Yeah, okay. So just so people farm. can yeah. find if yeah. they do want to yeah. do that. Probably my mother will do that. <laughs> you left mm. Ireland. 1987. 87. Wow. Yeah. I was 17 then, Midge. I was 22 okay. then. It was after the recession. Well, Ireland was in a recession. I mean, Ireland was forever in a recession. I wasn't. Until the 90s. I was seven. You were seven. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 1980, so I was God, seven. Yeah. And you were what, 22? I was thinking that. I that was 22. 22. Yeah. yeah. All right. In the recession. I had finished my nurse training. I, I did that in St. Vincent's in Dublin. Yeah. I'm a Vincent's lady. <laughs> I mean, if, if we go back a little bit, my mum died when I was 20. So I think the fact that she had died, well, I know it had an, you know, a huge impact yeah. on me. It was a huge trauma. But I think that impacted my decision to leave as well. Mm. Because I often look back and think if she had be, still been alive, I often wonder, would I have left A reason Ireland? to be there, yeah. So it was October 1987. I think it was the evening of the big storm back then packed up our flat I went to Germany with my sister and a couple of friends and uh, we went to work in this factory near a place called Darmstadt stayed there for six months and it it was a really formative experience because up to then I had only I'd lived a very kind of sheltered life Um, I'd gone to boarding school been taught by the nuns I went and was educated then by the nuns as a nurse it was very very female or and said you did not talk to men or boys or do anything like that oh. so I went to Germany what was the experience yeah in a German factory there was quite a few of us there um Irish there there were a lot of Turkish immigrants but we the, the younger Irish people kind of kept to themselves um I made we made friends with a couple of people there two guys whom I'm still friends with wow. Peter and Sasha oh cool yeah who I, you know, I loved bits and um, and we just had a lot of fun. I mean, we would work hard in the factory, <laughs> yeah. up at six in the morning, putting six cherries in a jar. And that's really all we did. And then we would go out with the lads and... Um, have a bit yeah, of fun. So for six months you... For six months. And then I kind of thought I really need to, you know, do something. Other than put six cherries, cherries in, in a jar. Yeah. So I, I came home and I thought I'll have to go back to nursing again. I was either going to go to the States or, was our, or, or to England. My sister had decided to go to Boston. She went about, left two months before me 
Um, and I still have a strong memory of her going to Boston mm. and it was like awake. Another departure. Oh, and I feel emotional. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about it. Well, you it. just lost your mum as well, right? Yeah. So that was another yeah. person that was you, yeah. like being yeah. torn away from you. Yeah. At this moment, I'm sitting in the car going to Shannon Airport. I can remember I was wearing a beige jacket that had, you know, big pads on it. Were you fashionable even then? I was fashionable <laughs> even then. And I, I was wearing a pair of sunglasses because I was crying. Mm. And in those days as well, you could go to Shannon and you would see the aeroplane going off mm. and waited to, you know, wave goodbye. And oh, it was, yeah, it was very traumatic. Shannon's like a bus station, isn't it? You just pull up next to the aeroplane more or less. And, yeah. I decided then that I, I would come to England because it was nearer to Ireland because I had this fantasy that I would be, you know, coming back. But I went and I didn't go back to Ireland for about three years. And I felt conflicted coming to the UK because of the whole relationship between Ireland and mm. England. And I can even remember a friend saying to me, what are you going there for? I did an interview to work in a hospital in London, came over and um, yeah. What hospital was it? I worked at St. Bart's. I trained in intensive care, so that's what I was doing. I, ca- I, um, I worked in an intensive care unit. And around about that time, a lot of nurses were going back to do degrees because when I trained as a nurse, you didn't come out. You came out with a nursing qualification, not a degree. Okay. One of my friends who was also a nurse in the, at the start of the 90s, she decided she was going to go back to uni and do a degree. So I thought, I'm going to do the same thing. So in 93, I went back to uni and I did a degree in women's studies. Oh, cool. Amazing. Then because I had been nursing for a long time, well, I suppose five or six years, I kind of knew I didn't really want to stay in nursing. I I knew I wanted to do something like counselling. So when I finished my degree, I went straight into doing a master's in counselling and psychotherapy at Birkbeck. From there, I then got, you know, I started working as a counsellor in a university. Tell me about women's studies. Is it to do with the history? Well, it was looking at all things female related. It was really looking at gender, gender politics, but it was also looking at the history of feminism from the suffragettes, you know, up to what we would have called second wave feminism. Mm -hmm. I think in the 90s, I mean, what I would have been looking at, it was around about the time when Prozac Nation came out. I I think it was a new development really in feminism with younger women wanting to sort of take up the yoke, really. Yeah. Um, But I, I think at the time there was a lot of positive things happening. Um, you know, I, I think women's voices were being heard. And when I look when I look at where we are now and back to the 90s, I, I feel as if that period of time never really happened. I, I think we've gone backwards, backwards rather than forwards. Well. Yeah. Well, it seems to be a battle that we're constantly having. Yeah. Same conversations, yeah, just on repeat. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're 50% of the population. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's not thinking about gender, sexuality, you know, racism, the whole caboodle, really. Mm. Um I think we just constantly keep taking retrograde steps. Circles. Absolutely circles. It's as if we can't remember anything at all. Yeah, we're very good at forgetting, aren't we? That degree was amazing. I can remember the first time I sat in a library, you know, and I was there as a student and I thought, oh my God, this is amazing, you know. And I felt very fortunate that I was able to make that step. I mean, my father thought I was a bit mad. He thought, God, what's she doing that for? Could she not just stay and be a nurse? My mother was a nurse, so, you know, that's... Okay, that was the expectation. 
absolutely. Um, in my day when I was growing up, you either became a nurse, a teacher, mm-hmm. a secretary or a nun. I did think I'd become a nun when I was about <laughs> 15. <laughs> 15? Yeah, but I think that was because I was afraid of boys. I that, sorted that after That a came while. and went. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely came and went. That would have been still like 10 years later. Even in terms of education, it was the same thing. It was, yeah, secretary, it was teaching, it was law, if you were lucky enough. When I was growing up, certainly the school I went to, not many of the girls I was in school it would have gone to university they kind of went into more diploma type education so I guess it would have been teaching when you were sitting in that library and the lectures Mm. and the educational part of that how was your um like studying and learning skills and you know what I'm diving into here yeah what did that feel like at the time did you feel like you had to work extra hard I can remember I couldn't write essays Mm -hmm. I would be sitting in a lecture hall and I would I would find it hard to take notes and listen to the lecture at the same time and I'd look around at my colleagues and even now and I think how on earth are they managing to listen Mm. and uh, write notes at the same time I'd come out of like an hour long lecture or whatever with like three words on a page mm. and and um, I'd be embarrassed if people asked me for notes because I wouldn't be able to give them anything and what I, I'd be able to begin to write maybe the first part of a sentence and then it would just all disappear um, it would be gone I was much better sitting down with the book and actually going through the book but it would take me a very yeah, long please. time yeah. the guy I was with at the time he'd you know, he'd done a degree previously, so he just gave me one of his old essays and I literally used his formulation. And I think I've used his formulation all my life. <laughs> so if he's listening to this, thank you. When you say formulation, how, what do you mean? Like the structure of yeah, the yeah, essay? Yeah, and, yeah the right. structure, you know, like how you might set it out, the beginning, okay. the middle and the end, yeah. really. Because I really had but no But you created notion. your own essay around that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I created my own but essay. But you needed that example I suppose yeah yeah yeah. so I I could adapt it really yeah I mean there was study skills and I did go and got some help with you know is this how I write an essay yeah I guess I just felt very lacking in confidence yeah of course I now know really what was going on let's let's go to that yeah now yeah so tell us about your (laughs) your diagnosis which some people you were saying don't call it a diagnosis or yeah some people call it an identification so I've discovered that I'm dyslexic and dyspraxic. Yeah. So basically about four years ago, well, I was working in a university. I was the head of a counselling mental health and accessibility service, which incorporated neurodiversity and disability. So I was line managing a team of neurodiverse advisors. Um, and so I thought, well, I better understand a little bit more of this, even though I had encountered students who were dyslexic or, you know, whatever, um, ADHD, and I'd worked with them before as a counsellor. But I really hadn't gone into the nitty-gritty of what this meant. So I thought a way to do it is I'll do an assessment. My, I'll do one of these pre-assessment, these screenings myself. And I was going, yes, 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 yes. Mm. And I went to a trusted colleague um, who was a neurodiversity advisor, and I said, you know, this is all coming out as yes. And so we had a chat and she had begun to notice things about mm. me. She had noticed that, um, you know, I would mix up names a lot. And, and to today, there were two people I used to work with and I would constantly mix up their names. And maybe sometimes I might lose my place in things. I wouldn't be very 
structured or whatever, although I'm generally much better at speaking out loud than I am at writing something down. Yeah. So she'd begun to sow the seeds that, you know, could it be that you're dyslexic? And we know that a lot of nurses are dyslexic. I mean, I knew that from having worked in a university for over 20 years. Hmm. I haven't got the facts and the figures for anyone who's listening, but there is something about um, those of us who identify as being dyslexic or, or who have this diagnosis. We're very, very good at practical work, lateral thinking, yeah. seeing the bigger picture and being in the thick of it, really, you know, working with our intuition. Yeah. And even while I was working in intensive care, I was very, very intuitive. I would know instantly if someone was going off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if yeah. someone was becoming very ill, I just know it. Um, well, the skills that you must have needed without you knowing to develop from the age of zero, mm-hmm. right? And for you to be making sense of the world, world has been completely different from those two categories you, you were... You said two words earlier on that people that... Neurotypical. Neurotypical and And neurodiverse and that, I guess, neurodiverse people have had to adjust and create their own strategies and pick up their friend's essays and figure out from a friend's essay what the structure looks like and then try and apply it to their own work. We do because it is a neurotypical world. I mean, it's a man's world. Absolutely. And it's also a neurotypical world. So not only (laughs) was I having to work within patriarchal society I've also had to find a way around yeah you know working in this um not very neurodiverse world or a world that didn't recognize us Mm. really do you think that yeah the young females it's less recognizable in females than it is in boys is that is that a, a a thing well, well, they say that young women mask, I mean, and we find strategies around it, certainly for young women who may be autistic. Yeah. Um, because they're supposed to be quiet and they're supposed to be nice and have all of those kind of yeah. feminine qualities in inverted commas that women, you know, young girls do find ways around this. Yeah. Um, so it's more hidden in the behaviours, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I think... For me growing up, I think the structure that I lived through, like um, like school was highly structured. I was taught by the nuns in primary school and secondary school. I went to a boarding school. So after school at boarding school, you had a bit of free time, but then you would have study time. Yeah. So, so there was no way that I could get out of doing it. I, I would do it. Um, and I did it fairly well. I yeah. mean, I came a cropper when it came to my leaving cert. I didn't do very well in that. Mm. And I just put that down to being distracted and not very interested in other things. But maybe I was distracted because... Yeah, for sure. I didn't know how to apply it. You mm. know, and my mind was wandering all, all over the place. Mm. I think there is something about structure because it wasn't until um, I took over a very, very large team and it was quite multidisciplinary that my structure, it, it became a bit floppy, really. Yeah. And I think that's then when the cracks began to appear. And I had very little structure in terms of um, kind of people around me to sort of help me manage this this wider team. You almost had to lead on the structure. Yeah. And that's your most difficult yeah, thing or aspect. So we met, is it? A year and a yeah. half ago? Yeah, yeah. Now? Yeah. And in that time, you were just coming out of this career that you'd mm. spent your life devoted to. And it wasn't easy. It was 
very difficult time, wasn't it? I was beginning to wonder, yeah, if if I could continue in it. I think the pandemic has had a huge impact on us all, obviously. Um, and I began to wonder with the pandemic, could I continue in the career that I was in at that time? I was trying to work out whether I was getting the benefits from it that I needed or not. Mm. Um, and, I, and I kind of felt, well, if I don't make a change as the result of a pandemic, when am I going to make a change? I mean, you know, what kind of earth shattering thing yeah. <laughs> really am I waiting for? But it was already a strain and a stress. And I had probably done what I needed to do mm. where I was at that time. And I think it was best for me to move out, really. Um, and that's what I did. I think through the pandemic, and I think for a lot of people as well, making that shift from the organisational kind of space into your home space where there really was no divide between the personal and work, it was very, very hard to create it. I mean, work just invaded the whole of my life. Mm. Um, I would be at my laptop from eight in the morning till eight in the evening. And, it, you know, it was just too much yeah and I think it put a lot of strain on everyone put a lot of strain on family you know we were, our child was also at home yes teenager she, well Boy. yeah he's almost a teenager, almost teenager. so I, I think I had to make some life-changing decisions really because I remember us chatting a lot around that time and about mm. the grief that comes with a massive career change or just stepping out out of it not even a change at this point but mm. Mm. just to step away from something that you've well, to leave something that you've devoted your whole... Oh, yeah. Well, you're the large part of my Life. career to. And that I really loved and enjoyed. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, to move into something else, to move into the unknown, really. Mm. Um, and maybe it was something I'd been putting off for a very long time. Yeah. But I, I think it was the right decision for me. So you're 58, is that right? Not yet. <laughs> I'm 57. Bitch. Yeah, I'm 57. I keep saying, when are you 58? Yeah. I need to remember this. When's your birthday? February. Oh, not for ages. Not for ages. Not, not for, for ages. ages. I, I think the diagnosis of being both dyslexic and dyspraxic had a profound impact mm. on me. And it made me think, if you've done all of this so far, Midge, so I had gone through you know primary secondary education I trained as a nurse I'd done more qualifications in nursing I got a degree I got a master's I then took a hiatus had a kid um, and then I went back and did another master's and I had already started another course yeah so just this whole series of lifelong learning and I thought if you can do all of that Midge imagine what you can do now knowing about this thing called yeah. dyslexia you can get all the different strategies in place y you know it's time to take that leap of faith how are you getting on with that now it's a process i think there's a lot to consider um and there's a lot to let go of i mean what i learned from leaving my full-time employment is that in a way when you move from one job to the other you never have to mourn the job you've left mm -hmm. because there's always another yeah job that just makes you very busy and it takes up all of that time. It's like so, children isn't it? You can't mourn the year that's just gone because yeah. you're too busy thinking about the yeah. the now and yeah. the, the next day. Yeah. So I really had to mourn the job that I gave up and the kind of career that I had had mm. in order to move into this next phase. But I, I really feel I'm doing something now that kind of is more aligned with me and suits me a lot better really because I'm moving into an area where I'll be 
helping people more with their self-development in the workplace, working with teams, working with change management and helping people to understand a lot more about organisational dynamics, Mm. which I think is really, really important because I think workplaces put a lot of angst into people and I think they cause people to have an awful lot of anxiety and if you can just kind of get hold of that yeah it's so much better and what's then your opinion around yeah we come from a very structured education primary secondary everything is timed there's a time to be somewhere and there's things jobs and things that you have to get done and and so on and then you enter into the workplace and that completely changes is that something that you consider well I think where I'm at in my thinking now is that there's more to life than work Hmm. Um, I think we do need to create um, clear you know more of a work-life balance and that's really what I've been concentrating on I think I got very caught up in this idea that I had to be the most perfect manager in the world you know I had to be this amazing head of service you know who achieved this that and the other I mean I did I achieved an awful lot in my role and I think I did a lot for the service and shaped something that was really beneficial to the organization that I worked in but I think there was a cost and the cost was um, to my well-being really and I think organizations owe it to their staff to ensure that there is a better work-life balance I think one of the gifts of the pandemic is that it has allowed us to kind of re-examine the need to be in the workplace, yeah. you know, and the ability to flex around that yeah. is greater. Um, I think we need more time with ourselves. I think we need to concentrate more on our mental health. Um, I think we need to be more in touch with nature. Um, I think we just allow, we need to allow ourselves just time to relax and just be really just be absolutely just be yeah and we're in the middle of london where the the treadmill is quick the treadmill is fast Mm. right and you do get caught up in that and i remember that same thing yeah what's the next career step what am i doing Mm. now what am i doing now and even family life we're a bit like that it's Mm. like there always needs to be another thing when Mm. actually um when i met amber that was my biggest thing with Mm. amber was like just just be just Mm. be just slow down and just be Mm. yeah Mm. which is really hard to do I'm delighted to be kind of off that treadmill really Mm. to being able to take a stop a step back and I feel very lucky and fortunate that I've been able to do that but there's been a lot of self-reflection really that is true isn't it lucky enough to Mm. be in a position where you can change career and Mm -hmm. you can take time out if needed and you can surround yourself with the support and the help that mm. you need when there's lots of people who don't have that luxury, I suppose, yeah. financially and with time and with support and family. And that's a really tough place to be. Yeah, yeah. And how we still get all, all the stuff that you were just talking about around being in nature and mm. having time to yourself. Yeah. And appreciating what you have, and, you know. Yeah. Because um, I was getting to the stage where I was, you know, there's a lot of shouting going on in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanted to appreciate my husband and my son, you know. Was that shouting coming from you? Oh God, yeah. I'm a great (laughs) shout. I'm a wonderful shouter. Were you going through the menopause at that point? Uh, Do you know, I think I was. Um, My menopause started very early. So I had my son late in life. I was 42, 43. And I think my menopause started when I was 48. Because I have memories of not sleeping, you know, waking up in the middle of the night. 
you know, being very hot, sweating profusely and all the rest of it. I just thought this is because I've got I'm the mother of a five year old. You were like, Jesus Christ, I've spent years not sleeping when he was a baby. And then it all came back around when he was, what, five, four or five, did you yeah. say? Oh, and I hadn't slept from the minute I got pregnant. The minute, I mean, more or less once I got pregnant, that Hormones. was it. Yeah, yeah. I, absolutely. And, you know, the midwives would be saying to me, oh, you really need to sleep. And I was thinking, Jeannie, Mac, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to, I can't sleep. Can't sleep. I remember after I had him, um, and bless him, he wouldn't sleep at all. I, I'd be walking around Peckham Rye. Mm. pushing him in his buggy trying to get him to go and he'd sleep like for two and a half hours I was out there in the rain the hail I thought that was my life for the rest of my life Did you sleep when you were younger? I'd sleep for Ireland Oh wow Even through my teenage years when I'd come home from school I'd sleep all the time and that was one of the wonderful things about being a nurse is that I could sleep doing night duty was never a problem for me I'd come home nine in the morning, I'd sleep until five and up into my thirties. Yeah, I slept all the time. I then got pregnant and then I didn't sleep, I'd say, for about 10 years. Well, you haven't slept since. Well, I really haven't slept since. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not joking about this. Like literally you had to send us an email this weekend to say I haven't slept in two nights. The training has to go on the back burner for a day or two until I can get back on track. Because I wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And in all this time mm. with this career change and menopause still playing havoc mm. and sickness, mm. um, you've been able to stay strength training. Oh, and yes. what made you start it? I've always been in and out of gyms yep. all through my life. I, I can remember in my twin, just when I, when I was nursing in Dublin, complaining to my sister that I wasn't. But this is another thing. I can't bear the fact that I used to persecute myself over how I looked. Mm. And to anyone who's looking out, you know, who's listening in, we are all gorgeous. You are gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And I know it now because I have a child and I look at him and I think you are just gorgeous. Mm. And all his friends are gorgeous, you know, and we don't appreciate it. And when I look back on old photographs of myself, I think, God, you are gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. And it's just about because you have to live in the moment because this is the best of me right now this moment with my spiky up hair and I've probably got red cheeks you know but but this is it this is as beautiful as I'm going to get yeah so it's about appreciating that that body so I did start playing around in gyms in my 20s in Dublin and then I came over here all that time in this block of period that you're now Mm. figuring out and thinking about it was all about persecution of yeah it it was all all, I was always striving for some kind of a body perfect body and of course the 90s were really was when I was in my prime or whatever Mm. and of course at that time it was um, androgyny and um, heroin chic was the sort of the look and I was never going to look like that I mean I was like probably a size 10 but I always had big boobs Mm. you know so um, I was never going to be waif like but I was still absolutely fine. But I was striving for something that was never going to happen because this is just who I am, you know. And size 10 is pretty absolutely small. Fine. Yeah, <laughs> I know, small. I know, but... But I it's just, not, it was the perception again. that, yeah. wa- And you said the word wave. Wave, yeah. Yeah, wave thin. I, I just yeah. felt big in my body. And that yeah. I know where that stems from. It stems from when I was 11 and puberty had hit. Yes. And, you, you know, I suddenly went from being... Um, 
non-curvy to being very cur- yeah. you know, to being curvy because I didn't know what to do with myself. I have yeah. a memory of my mum looking at me when I was about 11 and kind of <laughs> she was shocked and that stayed with me. And kind of then being at school and I was always hungry so I was always eating cake and whatever, you know. And then when I left school, you know, the weight just fell off me. Yeah. So it was all just that, that sort of puppy fat thing. I was taller and bigger than all my friends. And I think we were saying it earlier about how in Ireland people um, feel that, uh, not now, but then mm. anyway, that everybody had an opinion. Oh, and yeah, you yeah. were like, yeah, it, people would be able to come along and make comments and... Yeah, should they pinch you and everything? Pinching Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's pretty shocking, isn't it? Because I grew up in a pub and because we were on a farm and we'd have men coming in at harvest time, whatever. It was a very public sp- yeah. play space. So I could never feel comfortable in my body because you always had to make sure that, well, you couldn't be in your bikini if there were men coming through the garden or right. anything like that. You know, so I always felt this need to cover up. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't wear a miniskirt until I was in my 30s. Well, because you were... We were, you were getting attention anyway, yeah. probably. And if bikinis or anything, like a and pair of shorts or, oh a, no, yeah, you wouldn't or a tight anything. top yeah. or whatever, no. you know, that, yeah. that would just exacerbate that. And it's not, you don't want that as a no, as young a te- kid, no, 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 you which don't. you are when you're a teenager. Absolutely. Also, the Ireland I grew up in, or maybe it was my family, um, but there were ver- certain ways a woman could be, mm. you know. When I was growing up, you couldn't wear nail varnish, but you could wear lipstick because my mother wore lipstick. Right. Um, you could smoke because my mother smoked, you know. Yeah. And though, even though I grew up in a pub, you weren't really supposed to have a drink because if you wouldn't just have a social drink, you'd become a drunk. Do you know what I mm. mean? I know it's all very, very contradictory. So I, I grew up a very kind of a skewed relationship with my body, really, that I think came from this patriarchal take on, on how a woman should be, yep. but also this very conservative, traditional yeah. take in the Ireland that I grew up in. And basically you were either a Madonna or a whore. There was sort of no in between. And at least that's what I internalised. And I think through my education, that's what I've been striving to try and correct. That's why I did women's studies, because I was trying to find out. Understand it, yeah. Who am I as a woman? What do women do? How can I be, you know? Yeah. Um, And certainly then, because after that, through my counselling and therapy, I was also trying to work out, you know, who I was um, and play around with that. And when you say counselling and therapy, because um, you were a counsellor. Yeah, yeah. But also, did you have counselling and oh, therapy? Oh, yeah, years, yeah. years of years it, of yeah. It. <laughs> so I'm psychoanalytic, yeah. so yeah, I okay. was on the couch, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to do that as part yeah. of your career anyway? Yeah. Well, Fantastic. but I had to do it anyways because I was so traumatised after my mother died. Yes. Um, I, I had to work through that loss. Do you mind me asking what she died of? Subarachnoid haemorrhage, so she got a clot in her brain. Okay. It was very sudden. Yeah. Um, she had a headache and four days later she was dead. She was dead. Died in the hospital I was training in, which was quite oh. difficult, really. Yeah, yeah. You were 20? I was 20, she was 59. She was 59. Yeah. That's the other reason I decided I needed a change in career was because mm. I thought I'm 50, well, 56, I'm going on 57. I cannot be killing myself at 59. Yeah, you know, I reality needed, check. Yeah, I needed to do something positive with my life. And when um, your mum died, was that a case of, um, okay, your mum's dead, but bury it, get on with it. Absolutely. Get back to work. 
absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Um, I remember that. I, I can remember being, uh, Mammy died, we had the funeral, I was standing in the hallway and the phone rang and it was the nuns from my training hospital <laughs> phoning to ask, when was I coming back to work? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was completely shocked, you know. Yeah. Um, and when I think about it now, I, you, you know, where is the humanity? There was none, but you basically just had to get on with it. And I did, you know. And that was their version of humanity, wasn't it? Absolutely. If you If you're back here and you're working, you're at your mm-hmm. bed, you yeah. know, that's the way you're going yeah. to recover. And yeah, that's how many people survived. Right. Abs- and that's yes. how yeah, life was at the time. But of course, it's ironic because I was working in the caring profession. But of course, now I've learned so much about. Yeah. How people in organize you know organizations have particular structures in place to protect themselves from all of those anxieties and those emotions. So now I can look back and understand what was going on. Really, I just happened to be a casualty, and I think that's what happens in a lot of organizations. We become casualties mm. of the organizational atmosphere, really, and the constant change yeah. within that. Yeah. So I was telling you about my story to fitology and I went off. Oh, strength training. Yes. Yeah, strength training. Fitness and strength training. So, yeah, yeah gymming it, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, through my 20s, 30s. I had my son and because I was walking around all the parks in southeast London, I very quickly lost all of that <laughs> baby stuff. And then, of course, um, the menopause hit. And you see, up to then, I had been thinking I can control my body. If I put on a little bit of weight, I can, you know, starve myself for a couple of days and that will take care of that. I mean, this all sounds horrendous, doesn't it? And then the menopause hit and suddenly you go from being whatever size you were to being like a balloon. Mm. And it all went on my midriff and people talk about spare tyres. It was, it was as if I had taken a tyre off the car and strung it around the middle of me. Mm. That's how I experienced it. Yeah. And I couldn't get rid of it. I could not. All the parks in London couldn't get rid of it. Absolutely. <laughs> nothing could get rid of it. And uh, just like hormones, like yeah. that, like at, that's at its at its best and at its highest. But yeah. we yeah. go through a life of this and dif- yeah. different people, different experiences. But, but you see, oestrogen is our gift, yeah. you know, and, and I think as a woman, oestrogen is what makes us able to have babies. Um, mm. And I know having peers, etc., can be quite horrendous but it keeps us on a balance as well and and maybe other women might have experienced it in a different way but once I stopped producing oestrogen all of my stress and anxiety all my cortisol went onto my midriff yes and this was another reason for thinking about changing Mm. moving away from what I was doing because the stress was in my body literally yeah I had been going to the gym and then I kind of stopped with the pandemic. I wasn't actually giving myself the space to go. I felt guilty for going to the gym. I I would get in the car and go to the gym I was going to. And whilst I was going to the gym, I'd be on the phone to work, making sure everyone was all right. And then I'd come out of the gym and I'd be feeling guilty and I'd be on the phone saying, you know, is everything okay there? You know, is there any risk that I need to be aware of? I mean, it was just completely mad. Well, that is really like high stress, twenty four seven. You didn't, you didn't come down from that, no, did you? No. The pandemic was happening. I was sitting on my chair, thinking, I have to do something about this. I don't know how I discovered you guys. Probably it was through Instagram. Did you come across one of us in the park in Horniman oh, one day yeah, as well? Yeah. Because yeah. I remember that coming up in our conversation. Yeah. I think I saw you and Amber Horniman. From a distance. Yeah, from a distance. And from that point. I thought, oh, they're celebrities. <laughs> I can't go up and um, be chatting to them. 
but yeah, so I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a go. It's a women only gym because I think I was beginning to feel intimidated. Yeah. Going to an ordinary gym with men throwing like 60 kg weights around. And, you know, you'd go on to that one where you push it out with your feet and Jesus, Mary and Joseph. I mean, I'd be pushing my body weight, which was, I suppose, 65, 70 kg, but like men would have had 120. And rather than just thinking, you know, this is okay, Midge, this is you, it became this persecutory thing. Which, like, really, I have a PhD in doing, is persecuting myself. (laughs) So I thought, I'm going to give myself something. I'm going to go and check out this gym. And I met you. And, of course, because you was Irish. Ah, Because Irish. (laughs) Yeah, that was an added bonus. Yeah. And I think we clicked. And then um, I got training with Tracy. And initially, it was online. Yes. Because I tried all that other, you know, Joe Wick stuff during the pandemic. And that was, I just, that, I I couldn't do it. You know, he was great. He motivated the country. I think it was fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. But it just wasn't for me. This is the whole point here is that not everything is for, like, we're not for everybody. Photology Hub is not for everybody. Joe Wick's is not for everybody. It is about finding your place, isn't it? And where. yeah. The place that makes you happy, the people that make you happy, the people that click. And then what I, yeah, what I did begin to get in touch with was building up my strength. Yeah. That's what I want, because that's what I had lost. Um, And of course, that's what happens with the menopause. You begin to lose your muscle mass, really. Yeah. That kind of begins to disappear, or at least it all just shifts into your midriff. That's what I wanted to tackle. And then I think that just began to allow me to reconsider my life and reconsider what I was doing with my body as well. And then I left my workplace and it's really been a journey since then because I've really been thinking about the trauma that we store in our bodies. You know, what what our muscles carry for mm. us. And I think that's really what I've been letting go of because all of that stress and anxiety was lodged in me. Yeah, literally. Li- absolutely, literally. So the approach that we take at Photology Hub is um, completely, thankfully, the opposite to what you would get in um, a kind of standard gym. Mm. That support, that journey as well. How was that? What, what was what was the shift in heading to the gym and being able to do those leg extensions with heavy weight? And mm. what's the difference in, in this? I don't feel I'm in competition with anyone. Oh, and actually, there's no mirrors in Photology. Mm-hmm. So I can't see myself which is actually beneficial. Because um, you I, have to feel it, right? Yeah. You have to understand and try and Yeah, and I kind out. of think it distracts as well a bit Yeah. Um, when, when the mirrors are there. And I just kind of, I like the camaraderie because I, I do the four-to-one sessions and I started out with Tracy initially. And Tracy just makes me feel like Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, Amazing. She... You know, she'll always call me young Midge, which is lovely. (laughs) Lovely. Everything is fantastic. Everything is an achievement. So when I came here initially, um, I was only able to lift 5 kg kettlebells, you know, do the exercises with those. But God, you think I was lifting 100. You know, the encouragement is great and the encouragement from the other women. Um, And then slowly, slowly, I build up strength. And the other thing that happened was just before the pandemic, I, I had twisted my knee in a very just in a in the shower I mean I wasn't doing anything super duper so I used to run and I hadn't been able to run so this was a way of um, kind of building my strength up in that region as well 
and just helping me just to feel better about my body and about myself and getting me more in tune with my body in a positive way rather than a negative way. And what I love about the way that the sessions are started here is that we always concentrate on the breath. Yeah. And so we tune in with ourselves. So I get here for 7.30 in the morning and, you know, we have a sort of two minutes of going back to bed again. <laughs> or at least that's what it feels Lovely. like. Which is really, really nice. And I love the shape of the session in terms of you do three concentrated exercises and then you do that conditioning one at the end. Yeah, so I you do your your warm up, which is an activation yeah. with the breath work and so yeah. on. And then you have your strength piece, yeah. which is where you lift considered yes. lifting with yes. slow, steady weights and that's how we build the strength and then the conditioning yeah which is when you get your heart rate up but yeah. all of that is based around you as an individual yeah and that's where the competitiveness doesn't come in right where you get that choice yeah. and you get that okay I'm feeling crap today I'm just gonna move nice and gently through yeah. this to I'm feeling great today and I can yeah. I can up the ante and yeah. I can choose more reps and stuff like that yeah. and and initially um, I was a bit angry at myself because I, I mean I think the competition was with me it was internal so I was comparing myself to my 30 year old self yeah like who could just throw weights around what I've learned over the past year really is to be compassionate with myself yeah to accept that made you're 57 you're not 37 you're not 27 and what I've realized over the years is that each decade we change and you, we can't control that. We just have to accept that. And our strength changes. And what I realised when I had my son is that I am incredibly strong. I'd just like to say I pushed a 9-11 boy out of my vagina. <laughs> and can I also say that two weeks ago you flung a 15 kg, which is like a probably, what, a six or seven year old child, mm. um, onto your shoulder mm. and then pushed it overhead in our Stronger workshop. Yeah, yeah. And just seeing you that day, Midge, I mean, I've seen you in sessions mm. For the last year and a half, but um, on that day there was something very special happened. Shall we also tell anyone who might be listening <laughs> that I also lifted 120 kg on your shoulders? On my shoulders, you stood it up. Yeah, on the yoke. That was very emotional. I just felt. I felt it came from deep within. It came from my womb. Yeah. It felt very feminine and it just... Wow, isn't that interesting? Yeah. That was really what was doing it. It was my femininity, my womanliness. And for ye all of the years and all of the myths around yeah. weightlifting not belonging to women and women not belonging to weightlifting and power sports, that actually, yeah. that's exactly where you it felt did. it. It came from my stance with my strong legs, strong hips that bore a child you know mm. and I think I was saying to you earlier we, we don't ever talk about that we, we never talk about how amazing women are to um, carry a baby for nine months mm -hmm. and then to birth the baby what however that happens whether it's by cesarean or vaginally mm. either way we are all fucking amazing <laughs> you can swear on here you know it's we, part of the deal yeah it we, is amazing we are, we are amazing um, and it it, it allows you to let go of the, a lot of those hang-ups as well yeah. with your body doesn't it because yeah. actually what your body has just done is incredible and going back to what you said about like being 57 and that generate you know the part like being 47 mm. being 37 and how things mm. change but 
you know, we've got people that come in and they're in their 30s and they're so stressed. They don't mm. give themselves a minute. So go back mm. to, you know, mm. you at your highest mm. stress and whatever point in life that's happening or wherever we're at and whatever age we're at, that compassion mm. for ourselves mm. is really interesting. Oh, yeah. And yeah. just listening to the language that we're using about yes. ourselves to ourselves and yeah. in our environment. Yeah. yeah, we chat a lot about that in sessions as yeah. well, about somebody saying, I can't do something or whatever. And mm. it's like, well, who told you you mm. can't do that? Like, there's a process, there's a yeah. there's a structure in place that we can we can build yeah. and that progress yeah. will come. And I mean, th- that was the other great thing about Stronger is the encouragement that all the women were giving each other, you know. Yeah. Um, and there was one woman who I mentioned, Nancy, Mm. who encouraged me as well which was great you know because you're just doing it on your own yeah and none of us knew each other and I'd never met Nancy before and she was just so positive about it all you know so thank you Nancy (laughs) (laughs) if you happen to be listening yeah um but there's something about when women come together we are stronger when we share our experiences we are stronger when we're allowed to talk right when we're allowed to talk without judgment and figure this yeah. stuff out and the, yeah yeah Absol- a- absolutely absolutely and of course I train with you as well yes I don't not want to mention that I'm learning new techniques um and one of the great things too is you know you gave me permission to take my shoes off and really grounding myself with my feet on the ground mm-hmm. I think has has also really helped be- because um I'm not so distorted yeah. when I lived with your um dyspraxia mm. have that right yeah um, and your dyslexia how does that come out in the physical world so you talk about you spoke about the visual mm. idea like you see the world in colors yeah it's bright it's this will you explain that and then if how that links to physical movement mm. and learning physical yeah. movement or relearning it yeah um well, of course, the way I see the world is, is how I've always experienced it. So I just thought this is how everyone else does it. But what I'm learning is that because I'm dyslexic, the way I see the world, I, I see the world in colour and I visualise everything. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't see words, but it's hard for me to action something while someone is speaking to me. And at the same time showing me, I kind of have to go through it for myself. So, for instance, if you are explaining a new technique to me, um, I need to listen to you and then you do it. But then I need you to kind of repeat it Mm. again for me. And props and physical, you know, like even having the dowel rod, the stick in place. I remember us just doing the hinge. Do you remember that day you and I did a one to one and we went over it and over it with different different props and some things worked, some things didn't. And it was all about, yeah, yeah, trying to tune, get the body really to get some muscle memory to tune yeah. into what that really feels like. Yeah. I, I think too, as my body is getting older, it, it doesn't remember, sometimes it doesn't remember the things from before, but also it can't do the physical things that it did before. So I'm, I'm also probably trying to manage some disappointment in the moment of doing the thing. But in terms of my physicality, like I, I'm not very well coordinated. Mm-hmm. Um, so... If someone does a movement, like for instance today, we were just doing some planks where you put your foot on the bench, but but I had to get Judy to actually come and help me with it 
again, you know, to do, it wasn't just enough to see do her it. demonstrate yeah. because I couldn't work out how do I coordinate myself mm. around the bench, really. And then, you know, I was flying. It wasn't a problem. Yeah. Um, but I am kind of awkward in my own space sometimes. Um, like back in the day, I would go to clubs and everything and I thought I was absolutely, you know, spot on with the rhythm. <laughs> but I have a memory... Um, of a friend having a 40th birthday and doing sort of dance moves. And oh my God, you know, I could not get them at all. Um, was that the line dance? Yeah, well, it wasn't <laughs> a line dance. I think we were dancing to salt and pepper or something like that, you know, but I really couldn't get the movements. Midge, I, um, I met somebody in the hub the other day that it turned out, and we were talking mm-hmm. earlier, but it turns out I didn't know this person knew mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. but the, the paths are completely different on how she came to right, us and stuff right. like that. and she said am I allowed to say this oh, you can say <laughs> the it. way that she met you was that you were in Ibiza oh yeah at a party mm-hmm. and it was a she wedding looked, a mm-hmm. wedding and mm-hmm. she looked across the beach mm-hmm. and you were standing there with a with a pose mm-hmm. in a very funky bikini I think oh goodness and she pointed and she went I want to be friends with her <laughs> and that was it oh, you wow. two have been friends since yeah yeah and that links us back to like your Instagram Yes. Tell us about your Instagram. Tell us about your fashion. I've always loved fashion. Yeah. Um, and it really comes from growing up in Ireland. And I think it actually comes from a, being part of a farming community. So Sundays were, well, Catholic communities, Sundays were very important. You would get dressed mass up day. in your best. Yep. It was Mass Day. It was a fashion parade. You went to Mass to see what everyone was wearing. You went to Mass to I see, went what to mass to see what everyone was everybody wearing. Everybody else is just wearing. Yeah, I mean, um, I had to go to Mass and I kind of thought, well, I might as well, you know. <laughs> fashion parade. Absolutely, a fashion parade. But my mum, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And whatever we did have, you know, my, my mum always kind of bought well. She had a very basic wardrobe, but she always wore lipstick. She always wore pink lipstick before she would go out. And she would have a set of pearls. Yeah. Um, and I always experienced her as looking very stylish and all of my aunts. Um, and my mum came from County Clare and the women in County Clare always looked awesome. <laughs> so shout out to the women. <laughs> County Clare. Um and I, I and also growing up in Ireland, um, it was always about buying Irish. Yeah. So I always made sure that I bought Irish products um, or anything that was made in Ireland. I could never really afford afford an awful lot, so I was always buying second hand before it became vintage. Mm. Um, and I remember in Dublin, I would always go to sort of the more quirky shops and to the arcades to pick things up, you know. And I always had my own style. I was sort of somewhere between being a punk and a goth, mm. whilst also being a hippie. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really <laughs> continued. Yeah. Um, I still support Irish design, you know, when I can. Yeah. I will splash out and invest okay. in something. There's kind of something quite unique about it. And I think it's very much um, aligned with the earth. Yeah aligned with the kind of Irish culture, the Celtic culture. And and I think a lot of Irish design um, takes a cue from our wonderful countryside and, yeah. and the, the colours there. But I've always loved colours. I've always loved patterns. I would clash them. Yeah, it's um, amazing. Because I, you know, because why not? Really? I mean, you're even in your gym gear, you managed to do that. <laughs> 
So I was very always very impressed. Um what is your Instagram? At London Irish Chicken. At London Irish Chicken. Irish. Irish chicken. As in O I. O I R. Do you know at university I was called Irish Sue? Yes. Irish Sue. So did you on go the back to university? I did. Or? Was I was down at Brighton uh-huh. University, but okay. in Eastbourne. Mm-hmm. That's where I trained as a PE teacher. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah, a PE teacher. PE teacher originally. Golly. Yeah. And then came out of teaching mm-hmm. and started training people, mm-hmm. and that turned into photography hub mm-hmm. as it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I get the stuff you were talking about around career, and also that the expectation of when we were growing up, it was that you. You do well in your education, you do mm-hmm. well in your career. And I think at the time I was going from that like assistant head, deputy head positions mm-hmm. to then training somebody, which was like, you know, oh, felt like a downward step mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. It obviously wasn't and it's a different kind of move. Yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a lot to um, overcome, I suppose, in those yeah. early days of pathology yeah. up. Where I'm at now, it's kind of allowing me to encompass so much of what has gone before I bring all of me into what I do like my Irishness is really really important to me and of course that's allowed me to think about diversity in the round it's allowed me to think about sexuality gender how people are viewed of course now I've got the added benefit of knowing that I'm dyslexic and Mm. dyspraxic so I'm thinking about all kinds of disabilities seen or unseen how important it is to sort of encompass all of that and be proud of it absolutely be proud of it I remember moving here and having Mm. to like shift up my accent Mm. and change and leave Ireland behind and Irishness and Mm. all of that stuff and it's like how do you yeah it was bringing it back now and being really proud of it but but also that was a timing thing wasn't it I think in the 80s and 90s there was a lot of negativity around absolutely yeah yeah. yeah, that was yeah. still definitely there when I came yeah. over. So my Irishness, my femininity, all of that is really important. But I do want to say about the dressing as well. I think it's really important to dress for ourselves. Mm. And I think it's really important to dress for your mental health, to make you feel better. And that was the reason I was dressing up during the pandemic. It was to make me feel better. Yeah, so Instagram, it w- it's not necessarily a showing off thing. No. This is for you. It's almost like keeping a record, isn't it, as well? Yeah. Of and there's a lovely community of women out there that I've um, yeah. come to know, you know, and become friends with now. And, and I think we're all trying to make sense of what it means to be a woman mm-hmm. in this world, but, but doing it in a creative way. And our own versions of that. Yeah. Because yeah. that's very different for different people, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I think the really important thing, though, is is compassion for the self. Yeah. And love of the self, because if you don't love yourself, well, no one else is, you know, mm. and it has to start with it you. It has to. I used to hear that and find it really hard to hear it. Mm. <laughs> what does that even mean? And how do you even, how do you start that? How how would you advise or what would you advise to somebody who's struggling with that? Well, I'd, I'd, I guess I'd be curious about what it is, the struggle is, what the difficulty is and what the genesis of it is. Mm. Um, But it's really about self-acceptance and loving you for the fabulous two eyes that you have, Mm. the nose, the mouth, the ears, the body with all its um, shapes and spots and and spots and whatever, because it tells a story. It's our map. It's the map of our life. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, because if we appreciate ourselves, we'll appreciate others. Mm. And that's one of the greatest gifts, actually, that I've got 
from having a child mm. is that he's taught me to love myself. Midge, we're coming to an end. Have you got a song? <laughs> I wish I had a song. If you're Irish, come into the parlour. <laughs> Unfortunately, I sing sweetly but flat, so I'll have to leave you without the song. <laughs> Next time. Next time. That can be your mission. Absolutely. Is to have a song. Yeah. Midge, thank you so much. Okay, thank for you, this. Suzanne. And thank you, Phytology. Yeah, it's been amazing watching you progress and grow, and I know that that journey is only going to continue and be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Better anyway. Most or- deaf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. It's great. Thank you so much. Reclaiming Yourself, the podcast, brought to you with PhytologyHub.com. If you enjoyed the conversations, please use your podcast app to follow or subscribe for free.